1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 262 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam. Uh, Jill is still off uh, with the old time off from the marriage, which is wonderful. Congrats once, once again to my co-host on all that good stuff. I am recording this intro in my car coming home from content marketing world here in lovely cleveland ohio where it decided to be about 100 degrees today um had a little bit of a snafu I was supposed to give you guys a slightly different episode from this but that is okay i will make it work uh today's episode is going to be an interview that i did with Cami garcia back at BookCon in new york city uh cammy garcia has done a little bit of everything uh She was the co-author of the wildly popular Beautiful Creatures books. Uh, She's doing some really great stuff with DC that we talk about here. Uh, We discuss a couple of her most recent books, as well as one that she did, which was kind of like an X-Files origin story, which is super cool. Uh, We geeked out a lot about that and all sorts of stuff. Every once in a while, I get to sit down with an author who just can kind of wax poetically about really anything and everything we were at a conference where i was worried about taking up too much of her time um but she just had all the time in the world for me it was absolutely wonderful in fact at the end of the podcast there's a part where i say hey we're gonna go and wrap up and she's like actually can i talk about one more book um just because she wanted to sit there and keep chatting uh feels like Cami is definitely one of those people who just really loves talking about writing and reading and literature and you can hear her passion and everything that we talk about. So, uh, again, throwing a little bit of a curveball with what I was planning for you guys, but that's okay. We'll get that taken care of. Uh, you guys didn't know what was going to be coming for today anyway, so there's no loss there at all. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds@overdrive.com, at and of course, you can always, always, always just go to professionalbooknerds.com to find a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, We also have a reading community in Viber. You can find that on Professional Book Nerds. And uh, somebody requested in there that they want to do a book club with the Professional Book Nerds reading community. So uh, if you are in Viber and you have an interest in that, let us know. Uh, chime in in the conversation there. Uh, if you're not in Viber but you still do have an interest in joining uh, maybe a, a professional book nerds book club, uh, shoot us an email or send us a tweet or an Instagram post. Just something that gives us – let's know that that there's interest there. And then I've um, been trying to brainstorm how we're going to select which title that we can all read and, and chat about. So, okay, that's a little bit of everything. Sorry if this doesn't sound as high quality as normal, as I mentioned. I'm literally recording it in my car. Okay, I'm going to go put two hands on the wheel once more and focus on traffic in the pouring rain. Hope you guys enjoy this interview I did with Cami Garcia on this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, it's Adam and I am sitting here at BookCon with Kami Garcia, the number one New York Times best-selling and international best-selling co-author of the Beautiful Creatures and Dangerous Creatures series, as well as The Lovely Reckless, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, and the wonderfully fun X-Files Origins Agent of Chaos, which I'm also really excited to talk about. Kami, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so The Lovely Reckless was your most recent title. I have
1: another contemporary that just came out that's a little more recent that's called Broken Beautiful Hearts. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so they... And they're both The Lovely Reckless and Broken Beautiful Hearts. They're both contemporaries and Mm standalones. So they are their own things. Yeah. The Lovely Reckless um, was the first contemporary I had ever written. Mm -hmm. It is kind of like The Fast and the Furious meets, like, Save the Last Dance. So it's about a girl who lives um, in, like, a very privileged area outside of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. with her mom. And her dad is an undercover cop in stolen cars, which is what my stepdad did. Right. So what my dad did growing up. Uh-huh. And... Um, her boyfriend gets killed in like a random, like violent, you know, mm-hmm. act, and she has PTSD, and she basically like has a downward spiral. Yeah, she like makes a bunch of mistakes, and her mom feels like she is like she's gonna ruin her life, mm-hmm. and she makes her move in with her dad in like you know middle class like area. Yeah, but she goes to public school for the first time. Uh-huh. People who are very different from her. Yeah. And one of them is um, a boy, and I don't really like to say a bad boy because I don't really think he's a bad boy. Uh I think it's very much, um, you know, the stereotype that people decide, you know, he's Latino, he dresses a certain way, he has tattoos, and they've kind of decided, you know, what they think he is. Mm -hmm. And she meets all of these people, and I always say what the book is really about is like figuring out if it's ever okay to do the wrong thing for the right reason Mm -hmm. because she learns like some things that like these, you know, some of her new friends are going through and one of the things that's really difficult is obviously her, things are very, like there isn't a lot of gray with her dad. Mm -hmm. It's like if someone is breaking the law, they're a criminal and if, you know, he's not thinking like, you know, well, they're trying to feed their family. You know, or and they didn't hurt anyone. Like for him, there's no, you know, yeah, wiggle no, room. No what, yeah. You know, if you're racing cars on the street, you're breaking the law, right. and it's and illegal car racing would fall under stolen cars. That's still like the same yeah, department. Absolutely. So you know, dating a guy who is you know racing cars mm-hmm. when your dad is a cop yeah. is problematic.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you, I, the <laughs> I, the idea of uh, first off, I love that you set the story in a public school, especially from someone going from a private to a public where everyone assumes that it's going to be a horrible situation. It's, it really hits home for me because where I grew up, it's a small town outside of Cleveland, and it's actually very predominantly Latino. I, as a white male, was actually a minority, which is kind of cool. All of my <laughs> friends were Puerto Rican and Mexican, and like, to me it was just people. Yeah. And we did. We had public schools and we had private schools and it, there was this negative connotation to everyone who went to public school and like nine-tenths of my friends went to public school and they were very much aware of what it, the kids aren't in a bubble they, they hear what other people are saying about them so I love the idea of putting a story in this type of a situation where it enables people to see like no just where what
1: your zip code is or where your right. school is doesn't and it, it and the book definitely it has you know deals with race on some level but it really is about class because mm-hmm. For example, you know, like Marco, who's the um, Latino boy, you know, his best friend is white, but mm-hmm. he lives in, you know, project housing like he does. So yeah. it's like he yeah. is, you know, he has tattoos. He's judged also mm-hmm. as being like, you know, not one of the smart kids. Like, you know, yeah. the, you, the, the assumptions that are made, um, and I taught for 17 years. Yeah. So, and I taught in the inner city. Mm-hmm. I taught in Capitol Heights in Maryland, which is on the D.C. line and you know there's a lot of assumptions made about kids um regardless of race just just by social class you yeah. know how much money they have what neighborhood they live in mm-hmm. you know but that means that their parents aren't smart or they're not going to be smart and they can't go to college and i wanted to kind of because marco is actually super smart mm-hmm. and i wanted to like i wanted to like not only look at that and deal with it but also like some of the judgments you know for example you know, she was talking about, like, some of her friends from, mm-hmm. like, the country club set. Like, we're terrible people. Yeah. You know?
0: I, it's the it's situation. It's almost like um, that movie Finding Forrester. Mm-hmm. It was, it's almost like, okay, if you look a certain way and if you speak a certain way and play a certain sport or something, there's no way you can be intelligent. But it's like, no. that Right. It,
1: or it, vice versa. Yeah, if You exactly. do all that, that means you're a genius. Yeah. And which is also, uh, often not the case.
0: Yeah. Well, and it could be, it's even something like, even taking it out of... Like an inner city, it could be someone from the south who speaks slowly, and you, right. because they speak slowly, you assume they're less intelligent. Right, and they have a
1: drawl. Southerners, my fi- I part of my family, from the south, and southerners always complaining about that. Like, yeah. oh, because we have a southern accent, that means we're not smart.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I love you're talking about the tattoos thing. So we're a book kind right now, and I have a bunch of like Harry Potter tattoos and things. And here, I'm like, God. People are like, Oh my God, that's the coolest thing. Like outside of the book world, people will look at me like, Oh, so you cool those little children's books you have tattooed on your arm and I'm like that doesn't change who I am as a person right just that kind of stuff
1: that but it does I mean like especially for kids and in high school and things like that you know like even like Marcos are very like tribal like there's you know he doesn't have like anything violent Mm -hmm. or um controversial on him it's you know, but still, it's just the fact that he's tattooed uh-huh. and he, you know, doesn't look preppy and he's Latino. Then you know, all these assumptions are made about him.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm curious if because I know the the first books, the beautiful creatures and dangerous creatures books. Those first off, I think I saw you wrote those as a kind of dare basically. Mm-hmm. With... We,
1: well, the first one, first beautiful creatures yeah. book. I was I was still teaching. Margie yeah. and I have been friends for like I mean, she's my children's godmother, like over ten years. Yeah. And I taught a book club, like a fantasy book club, like an optional fun book club on Fridays. Mm -hmm. And two of her daughters were in it and um, five other kids. And basically, they dared us to write the book. We. They were really tired of, like, they loved, like, Stephanie Meyer's books, but they were really tired of, like, they're, like, you know, everyone's ripping those books off now. Yeah. You know, why is everything werewolves and vampires? Mm-hmm. Like, no one else can make up any other supernaturals. Yeah. And the girls, like, Margie's two of her daughters um, are competitive fencers. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, you know, why is, like, the girl never gets to be the supernatural who has the power and, like, she just gets to get rescued and the guy gets to do all the cool stuff. Right. So basically, like we were discussing it, and we like hatched a what would we do if mm-hmm. because I'm a huge comic book fan. Margie's made video games for years, that's amazing, and now she actually writes comics too now. But yes. like she was a video game person. We were both fantasy readers. Yeah. And then when we told the kids about it. They were kind of like, "Oh, it's a great idea," but like, "You won't do it." Mm-hmm. And so we were like, "Oh, we will do it." <laughs> and you know, and we did it. And you know, I I think it's it. And we got published. Not the publishing bar by accident we got an agent kind of by accident so oh. her friend um, who's the middle grade author um, pseudonymous Bosch wrote yeah. the secret series named uh-huh. this book a secret Yeah. he's one of our oldest friends and he was reading it That's like as we were writing it and yeah. he sent it to his agent without uh-huh. telling us um, so that guy you know so but again like I think sometimes when you are writing, even if it's, you're just imagining the people you're writing for, Mm -hmm. like now I have certain, you know, book bloggers and librarians and readers like, you know, who've been coming to events like this and seeing me for years and it's like if you, you know, picturing those people as, like, my readers or the people I'm writing a book for, because I know those are the people who like my books and get my writing, Mm -hmm. is much easier than trying to, like, write a book and think about, like, oh, I'm going to try to write a book, I'm going to try to get an agent, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to make sure it's, like, a gigantic seller, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be you know, J.K. Rowling, like, I feel like that, I feel like we did a lot of things in Beautiful Creatures Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have done if we were trying to get published.
0: Yeah, that's such a interesting way of looking at it, and He's right. There, first off, just the idea of like. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, because you wrote for so long as co-authors, when you decided to step out on your own, and did, did it feel completely different? From yeah, it's not as that, fun. That's for sure. Yeah. So does it feel It's. I'm assuming it's more kind of lonely. And it's
1: lonely and like you know when you're writing with a partner, at least the way Margie and I write, you're also a reader because like. I'm doing chapters, then she's writing over them and vice versa. So I'm always not only getting feedback on what I've written, but I'm getting new stuff to read. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, it's the fun of being a reader mm-hmm. and the fact that like, she'll be like, oh, I love that. You know, when you, I write by myself, you know, I do like, I, Holly Black reads for me and Carrie Ryan. and But like, you know, it will be a while. Like yeah. it will be, you know, I will talk out the idea and mm-hmm. then, you know, I might write 50, 60 pages before I show them any mm-hmm. of that. And you know, there's some law, there a lot that can go wrong in 50 60 yeah, pages. Absolutely. You can be totally off, off base. Yeah. And I think most writers are, I mean, I'm insecure. I think a lot of writers are insecure about, mm-hmm. like, especially their first drafts. Yeah. And when you have a person that you're bouncing ideas off of and that you're getting feedback from, mm-hmm. it's like, it's easier. Yeah.
0: I've heard a lot of people say, a lot of authors, that, like you said, it's, they have this book and until the first draft and the manuscript gets sent out, it's yours, it's your book. But then once it gets published, it's your fan's book and you kind of have to like set yourself apart from that, but do you feel very, like you say you're being kind of self-conscious about it, and a lot of authors are that way, like, how do you kind of get over that when you're taking that leap forward like, even as someone who is a successful writer and well a honestly I
1: don't feel that way just because I don't write for myself yeah. like, I don't write in a vacuum mm-hmm. like I write because I want people to read the books Yeah, so I write a lot with my readers in mind mm-hmm. I, that's why I feel like it's really hard to write a book and be like, I'm going to write a gigantic bestseller that everyone is going to love. Yeah. Like, I just, I mean, you know, that can happen, obviously. Right. But I feel like the main thing you have to do is focus on, like, who are your people? You mm-hmm. know, are they fantasy readers? Are they, you know, like, you know, like, you know, geeky, cool mm-hmm. book nerds? Like, you know, or are they jocks? Like, who are the people you're yeah. writing for? And I try to imagine kind of my readers... I don't think about, like, as I'm writing the first draft, like, everything, like, oh, they like this or that. That's more like editing later. Like, I'll be like, you know, is this something people can relate to? Or is this, like, a confusing analogy that, like, only I can relate to? Right. Because I don't want it to be something that only I can relate Mm -hmm. to. Because, like... I want people to read the books. And I, you know, books were very important to me. And when I had problems and I didn't know how to deal with things, I always would, like, go to books. So, like, I want my books to be accessible. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be something that, like, it's for me. And, like, sometimes I hear people say, like, You know, I don't believe in, like, um, you know, that you have to, like, not talk about serious things Mm -hmm. with, you know, in teen books. But I'll hear people say, like, well, I don't care if someone takes it the wrong way. Like, it's for me. And I'm like, I just feel like as someone who's a teacher, that's an attitude you should have if you're writing adult. Yeah. Like, I I don't... I'm not going to not you know, talk mm-hmm. about sex or drugs or like yeah. serious things but I'm also not going to write something that's I feel like is irresponsible or dangerous to yeah. not, you know, present in a full right. way. Well, when
0: I think of with, especially with teens I feel like so many times people have kid gloves when it comes to teenagers it's a bad analogy. I feel like yeah. people try to treat them like they're like, already, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. Exactly. When in reality, they're facing with so many, there's so many things that go on in schools. I and mean, there's school shootings, unfortunately, every day in our country. Right. And these are real life things. They're, when you're anywhere from 12 to 18. Right. Eight, to eight, pretend eight years, that they
1: don't know about violence is ridiculous. To pretend they don't know about
0: violence. To pretend that they aren't having sexual feelings. To right. pretend that they aren't having these huge emotions for the first time. Like, if you were to tell me that we're going to take, like, the whole, like, Fahrenheit 451. Like, if you were going to take away all my books when I was a teenager that explained all the things I was going through. Right. Like, I didn't. I, my parents are awesome. They're super cool people, but I didn't want to go up to my mom and be like, uh, "So there's this girl, and for the first time, I can't stop staring at her. I don't know why." But whereas I can grab a book and say, "Like, oh, there's a boy who looks and sounds like me, and he's having right the same or the feelings. same age,"
1: and they're all talking about the girls and exactly. like, right?
0: Yeah, I, I, that happens all the time. With um, we did book clubs through OverDrive with um, "This Is Where It Ends," the Marie Nycom book. It's all about a school shooting, and we're at, internally in our office. So admittedly, there were people being like. Should we show this to wide-scale amount of people it's about a school shooting? And I was like, yes, this well, is Well, so what
1: do they think they're seeing on the news all the time? It's an important conversation. There. Right, what do they think that teachers and yeah. administrators have to talk about with the kids? Yeah.
0: Okay, so I want to ask you a few questions about the X-Files. Because mm-hmm. A, my wife is a massive X-Files fan, and as I was going through all your stuff, one of my favorite things about researching before doing this is like, I read all the of Creatures books, and I was super excited. And then I didn't even know you'd written an X-Files thing, which is shame on me. But it's so much fun. So I'm curious how that type of thing comes about. Like, when you're working in a existing space like that, is that something that you were working with the X-Files people, or that you had an idea? I guess, so, like, how that how So that
1: basically, it happened because Jonathan Mabry, who is... So I wrote... Um, X-Files Origins, Agent of Chaos, which is like an origin story of Mulder as a teen, yeah. how he became a believer, and then Jonathan did um, X, X-Files Origins, um, Devil's Advocate, yeah. which is Scully. For Scully, yeah. So, John, the way it happened was originally, is the people? Originally, Jonathan did three anthologies of original X-Files narrative stories mm-hmm. for IDW. Yes. That... E- like, each story would fall between, presumably, an episode. Okay. So you would have to place them between episodes. It was, there was a couple, um, young, young, like, white authors, but it was mostly adult authors, screenwriters. Yeah. And um, and he asked me if I would do it, and I said, like, I would love to do it because I love The X-Files, but, like, I have too much work, and, you know, in order to do a good job, I would have to go and rewatch, like, mm-hmm. all those seasons, and I don't have time. Yeah. And he's like, well, and Jonathan's the kind of guy... Like, I talk people into doing things all the time. He's the person who talks me into doing things, and he <laughs> always has a plan. So he was like, what if you didn't have to do that? And I'm like, that would be impossible. Mm-hmm. You should totally interview him in some way because he's so funny. Deal. And he said, like, what if you only had to watch, like, four episodes? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's not possible. And he said, it is if you're doing Teen Mulder. And I was like, done. Because, oh. like, no one... He's, yeah. So he was like, I want you to do Teen Mulder. Right. So I wrote the story. It's called Black Hole Sun. Um... And IDW, uh, Chris Carter, and Fox have joint narrative rights Uh to X-Files. So basically things have to be approved by all of them. Okay. Um, I mean, I didn't, like, meet them. But it's like Jonathan, you know, he had, like, a contact with each. And he would have to send every story. Everything had to be approved. Uh Uh-huh. And um, when my story came back, someone at Fox had written, like, how do we get more of this? Yeah. Now, Jonathan had been pitching doing teen X Files mm-hmm. for a long time, and I guess Chris Carter wasn't like, he was like, I just don't know that it'll work. Mm-hmm. And like, so Jonathan had like an ulterior plan and motive, yeah. you know, he wanted to prove it could work. Mm-hmm. So um, then we were like, how do we get more of this? So I, you know, we I'm, I'm called my agent, but my publisher and editor, Aaron Stein at Imprint, is a huge X Files fan. Uh huh. So they were like, and Jonathan's like, what do we do? Like IDW, they don't do like YA books. Mm -hmm. He's like, we can't like publish the book. I'm like, I know who can publish the book. So I called her. It was like a weekend. She's like, just get me an email and a name and like, don't do anything else. Like I will handle it. (laughs) And she basically licensed it from them. That's amazing. Really fast. And so then what happens is... You have to do, like, an outline that you turn in. Like, in, in this case, again, like, Chris Carter's team had to see it and Fox had to see it uh-huh. and sign off. Um, so we gave them, like, the gist, but then we did a real outline so they could look and see. Right. They gave me very little feedback. Um, it's more stuff like, you know, you can't use Coca-Cola or whatever. Uh, you yeah. know, like, like, that was like Fox. Like, you can't use them and right. you can't use that's a real person and you can't, you know, uh-huh. that's not public domain. So, it was much more so, technical stuff. So, it wasn't stuff.
0: the story as much. No, as it like was the, much,
1: yeah, and, and and mine is really dark. Like, Jonathan's is, is cults, and yeah. mine's serial killers. Yours and is fairly dark. Yeah, and they're both set, they're in continuity. So, mine's said 1979 when he would have been 17. Mm-hmm. So, I also had to make sure, like, you know, all the things were accurate to 1979. Yeah. Um, which was kind of... Oh, hey
0: guys, we're, um, we're doing an interview real quick. So It's oh, so okay, no worries, no worries.
1: So um so everything had to be consistent with 1979. The good thing was it takes place in DC where I'm from, and yeah. my stepdad was a cop in 1979. So I know a lot of like I would be like, you know, where's that? He's like, that, that's not the building. The building wasn't yeah. there in 79. The building, you know, the they hadn't closed off the White House. Like yeah. so there was a lot of things. Um but they gave me like a lot of freedom. I created character. I well what was interesting was after, before I we did these, they Chris Carter made Jonathan the anthologies canon. Uh-huh. So f- number one, I had to adhere to anything I already had in my story. Right. So the only thing they said to me was, they said, well, you know, to my my editor to relay was like, you know, but I already knew this from doing the story was like, she can't like. Take liberties with the story of Samantha's disappearance. Yeah, like that has to be, has consistent, to be consistent with what's in the show. Right. But the thing for me is, like, people were like, "Oh, are you gonna change Mulder?" And I was like, "Cause it." I was like, "No," because like I'm a fan. Like I don't want to want to read that as a fan. Yeah. I don't want to read like new Mulder. I want to read right. Mulder as a kid. Well, that's the thing
0: yeah. people are coming to this book and they're like, the people that are gonna be drawn to this book. Right. Our are, fans. Our fans.
1: Or you know, we but we did write the books in a way that. Because we said we knew a lot of teens would have no idea they would never watch the X Files, so what Jonathan and I did that was really hard, and he and I, my editor, totally agreed with. But he and I were very like we had talked about it before, was that we wanted a kid who had never seen the X Files or be able to pick it up and just read it. Absolutely. So we wrote them like thrillers. Yeah. Where, but if you're an X Files fan, they're like full of Easter eggs. Yeah, I was saying so, there's oh, yeah. there's it is just chocolate. That full was of the eggs. fun, the most fun part yeah. was like filling, figuring out with mm-hmm. like all the things you could plan in it.
0: Okay, can I tell you? So this doesn't give anything away, but there's uh-huh. a there's a scene very early on when. With- a black car and tinted windows and there's a guy with a cigarette and I was like, please stay smoking man, please stick I was like hoping you would actually use the words and when you did I like kind of fist. Well my myself. the
1: thing that made me so happy was as I said, like, can I do the smoking man? But the other thing was interesting was they let I basically did an origin story for Mr. X. You I, and I was they let that. me and they were like, Okay, like yeah. that's what was cool. They were very I think because Jonathan had like already earned their trust and respect. By doing, you know, making sure that the anthology stories Mm -hmm. adhered so well. And then I had been in it and, like, mine hadn't had any issues. Like, you know, where it was like, oh, no, she's wrecking, you know, the story. She has to change it. I think that they had a certain amount of faith. Yeah. Because they'd already seen us do work in that world.
0: Well, I have to imagine that they would be super on board with... You writing a book in such a way that it attracts teens because it's a lot like, like, I, might, I think of like the, the DC origins where they have like Lee Bardugo and Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and Maria yeah. and Batman, where it's like you're bringing new people into the X Files universe, so like they're gonna have you know people going in and finding it on Netflix. And that's the but hope, and it.
1: and they're and Jonathan's, you know, obviously, um, you know, like Mulder and Scully don't meet, they right. can't meet because they don't meet until they're in the FBI, exactly. but um. But we have shared, like, locations in the books right. and things like that. So yeah. there's crossover of, like, you know, the syndicate and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, without having to have the two of them meet. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really fun to write. And then... Chris Carter made them canon. So they're, they're so X-Files awesome. canon now. Let's see, this is like the... Jonathan said he knew earlier. My editor was like, don't tell her. Yeah. She hasn't finished and it'll freak her out, out. Which yeah. would have totally freaked me so this out. is like the
0: inside baseball stuff I could nerd out about all day. But okay. Um, I could talk to you about X-Files for three hours, no, no, but I won't that do that. Um, I know you can't give us a lot of information, but you're also doing some stuff for DC Inc. So can you maybe like a yeah, little so bit of detail? DC
1: Inc. has... Um, DC Comics... Uh, DC Entertainment has two new imprints Zoom and Ink mm-hmm. Zoom is middle grade and Ink is their YA imprint and um, they have you know YA authors and either you know main established comic book author, uh, artists right. or people you know coming in mm-hmm. and we're basically doing we're out, allowed to work out of continuity so we're allowed to have a lot of freedom and I am doing Teen Titans. I'm starting with Raven. That's been announced already. Oh, cool. It's the first one. But I'm doing origin stories because what I want to do is um, when they're very interested in character, because they're like, we really want, you know, like whether or not you know Teen Titans, like we want really interesting characters that if someone picks this up, they yeah. are compelled, they want to know more about the character. Mm-hmm. But also, they have a lot of characters that are so iconic that I think, in a way, like, you know people are it's like you don't you're scared to like you know mess with the origin or even think about it too much because it's like they're larger than life right and it's fun with teen titans because they are teens right but what i was really interested in is like you know them developing their powers or what would be like you know if you didn't you thought you were normal and then suddenly you are developing powers yeah because i think that's you know you know the I mean, and it is a metaphor. I mean, that's kind of what you're going through. Your whole body changes. Absolutely. Your, you know, your opinions change. You start having romantic feelings for the boy, the girl, whoever. Yeah. And, but it's like, imagine if, like, on top of that, you're developing yeah. powers that, like, you know, may... You might think you're crazy, like, yeah. seem totally, you know. And and so I wanted it to feel really rooted in the real world uh-huh. so that it feels like these are real people because um, I think that some superheroes because they're like larger than life mm-hmm. they seem so far away and that's one of the things you know like you know um, the Christopher Nolan like the Batman movies did really well mm-hmm. like made you be able to look behind the curtain and be like Batman's a regular guy and yeah. this is what happened when we was a kid yeah. so I wanted to really do that but in a way that would appeal to teens so that they could really like it's like their story, not just yeah. like an adult story written yeah. about like the character as a kid. Finding
0: a way to kind of like ground. Yeah, this. I want it to
1: feel like for them, it's like the things they experience. Yeah. You know, <sighs> texting and like, you know, problems with your parents mm-hmm. and, you know, like your parents keeping secrets from you or not telling you the things you want, not letting you have the right. freedom you want, like the normal things we yeah. go through.
0: I can't I so but for Raven too. obviously it's
1: compounded because if your dad is like a very dangerous demon it's more problematic.
0: Yeah, just slightly more problematic. So all right, um, we're at BookCon, we're a book podcast, so I can't not ask you for a book recommendation or two. Something you've been loving either lately or in the past couple years. Oh
1: my god, there's so many books I know. I love, know. Um, I love um, Jeff Giles wrote a really amazing book. Um, fantasy slash I call it like slash romance because uh-huh. it has a lot of but it's also weirdly like a thriller too mm-hmm. it's called the um, the edge of everything okay. and when I read it it starts out like I was like oh my god this is like a survivalist thriller there's yeah. like a blizzard mm-hmm. and like and I was like very concerned about the characters I was <laughs> like oh my god like I would not want to be like stuck out in like the snow no one yeah. can see and then um, suddenly you realize which was cool that there's also a supernatural, like there's a fantasy element, yeah, that's like going on. You don't expect it, and, and totally. it's about um, basically um, a bounty hunter, like a kid who was born and raised in hell, oh, that's amazing. and comes and has a very specific kind of job that he has to do when mm-hmm. he comes, you know, up. Yeah, and he encounters this girl, mm-hmm. you know, that he's. And it's cool because they have almost a friendship. You know, like, they have romantic feelings for each other, but more than anything, there's a lot of friendship going on. Yeah. And I love that book. And then the sequel is coming out um, in the next couple months, I think. And then one of my, like, my mainstays, I love, I've always, always loved, um, Holly Black has a series called The Curse Workers. The first one's called White Cat. Uh And they're not as, like, you know, like, like, Cruel Prince, which is her new one, is amazing too, but yeah. it's like everywhere. But I love um, that one. It's kind of like, su- it's supernatural organized crime, mm-hmm. which is that's like incredible. the coolest concept yeah, ever. That's awesome. And it's like, it's, you know, it's like about people who have powers, and, but you're not allowed to use your powers, but mm-hmm. on the black market, like, you know, people will pay you yeah. to do certain things oh, if you have powers, but also she built into it like a, like there's blowback like if you use your powers you know there's also a consequence like yeah. something you know you can happen to you uh-huh. which I like and I like the protagonist is like a boy and he's not like you know larger than life and super like buff he's like yeah. a regular guy that sounds going cool. through all these things and it's a great series Yeah, and then I love her. I love Cruel Prince too oh Cruel Prince is it's amazing phenomenal. I know I it's amazing
0: um, the book you reminded me of there's a like good friend of, of the show comes on pretty often Zoraida Cordova I she, love Zoraida she rules um but her Labyrinth Lost
1: and uh, Bruja, Bruja Born. Born which
0: just came out kind of the same thing where it's like there's consequences to do and I love
1: that. hers because she created like her own yeah. religion like her oh, own I mean
0: like it's after I read Bruja Born I sent her a direct message I was like I'm so mad at you for just shredding my heart I she's love
1: like, I love her work yeah she's amazing and um like There's just... There's so many people right now. I really loved... um, Nick Stone wrote a book called Dear Martin. Yeah. That's contemporary. That's amazing. Like, there's just so many people right now in YA. Like, like, sometimes people will say, oh, like, do you write YA? Because it's easier than writing adult. I'm like, it's so much harder than writing adult. Because adults, everything... It's escapism. Like, they're willing Mm -hmm. to deal with a certain amount of, like, you know, boring or whatever to get to the thrillery part. Like... Teens are not willing to do that. They're like, this is, doesn't make sense. This sucks. I'm throwing this book against yeah. the wall and taking it back to the library.
0: Yeah. I When people say that they don't read YA because they're an adult, I like roll my eyes so hard. I think I'm going to pass it. And I'm out. like,
1: you're like a sad adult.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so at the end of our show, we do what we call the Nerd Nine. It's nine quick, lighthearted questions. Can I tell you
1: about, really quickly, about um, Brick and Beautiful Hearts? Oh, yeah. What okay. are we doing? Absolutely. Go go for well, it it's so now that I tell people this, I. When I wrote the book, I didn't intend to tell people, but it's actually was inspired by something that happened to me, yeah. which I wasn't going to share, but then it like kind of was, I wrote a letter to librarians and booksellers because mm-hmm. I, you know, librarians are, and teachers are like my people Yeah. about it. And then it kind of seemed like more people knew and, mm-hmm. you know, so it kind of has a me too element. It's about a girl who is um, like a really amazing soccer player mm-hmm. and she, her dream is to play professionally, like on a women's soccer team. Right. And She gets um, a spot to play like at her first choice college Mm -hmm. and she is dating an athlete and she finds out that he is using steroids and she's really upset and they have a giant fight and when she will not like get back together with him or agree to, you know, give him a chance, he ends up pushing her down a flight of stairs Mm -hmm. and I dated a guy when I was in high school who I found out was on steroids and he didn't push me down a flight of stairs but... Um, mine was through a door, but I did, I ended up doing my me too story for 17.com. Um, but she, but what happened was when it happened to me, like I didn't tell anyone except for my friends yeah. and I had like normal, like I can tell my mom things. I didn't have right. like parents that were unapproachable or yeah. anything like that. But like, it was very embarrassing and I really felt at 17, I was like, oh, I can handle it. Like mm-hmm. I'm almost a up. I can deal with right. it to myself, which is like not no, a good plan exactly. like me and my girlfriends were going to handle it ourselves like this <laughs> super unstable guy who was like stalking me and it went on for a really long time and I was like you like for me if I didn't know how to deal with something or if I had a problem like I would always find a book Yeah. and I, say, I always say like you know Judy Bloom had not covered this yet so right. there was like no book mm-hmm. and because and I really did believe that it would be fine or he would get bored of it you know like yeah. he will get tired of yeah. find another girlfriend and like he'll leave me alone Which didn't happen, and um, so I kind of wrote the book thinking, Peyton, who's the protagonist in the book, like she, you know, she tells her mom, she tells everyone, like she basically does the opposite of what I did. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to basically rewrite it and do like what I, you know, now twenty years later, wish I had done. You know, would I know? Because I now know it's not going to like just stop and turn out great.
0: I think that's such an important story to tell people because, like you mentioned, that if it's not in a book and if, it's, if people don't know like this isn't a normal relationship that when you're in high school so often all these emotions and relationships you're they're the first ones you're having so yeah. if you have an abusive boyfriend that might just be how you assume like oh this is well normal. that's and that's
1: the other problem is, is I did a lot of school visits and I was talking to kids and the other thing that you find is that with them there's a lot of relationship violence yeah. and it's you know it can be verbal um, you know it can be you know some I, I had some girls talking about being, like, sexually harassed by, like, their ex-boyfriends yeah. who then felt like, oh, I can grab their butt whenever I want. Right. I can manhandle them because we used to be together. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of it is, like, we are always assuming, like, talking about violence that can happen to, like, teen girls mm-hmm. by strangers. Yeah. But what we don't realize is that most of the violence that happens to them is by, like, someone they're People dating they or know. they know. yeah And... And it is, like, one of the reasons I talked about it at school because I was saying to people, like, it's, you know, even at my age, this at long after the fact, it's really embarrassing. And so I was like, people don't, like, make this up for attention. Mm-hmm. This is, like, a super embarrassing thing. Like, yeah. if someone wants to get attention, there's way, you know, cooler things you can make yeah, up exactly. than something that's going to be really humiliating yeah. to go around and say. And. So Peyton ends up um, having surgery, and she ends up going to a small town in Tennessee where her um, uncle lives to rehab because mm-hmm. she has a limited amount of time, and she's not very focused on what happens. So she's like, "It was physical. It's it's over. I like yeah. well, what's important yeah. is that I can Get like rehab my knees so yeah. that he right. didn't have an impact on my life." But she doesn't really deal with like the emotional, emotional components. And the fact that, you know, she, like, when she meets another boy, like, she doesn't want anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she doesn't trust, like, her judgment. Yeah. Because when you, it's just like a friend who betrays you. It's like if you're in a a relationship and you don't see something like that coming, you're just like, well, you know, I can't be a very good judge of character if I miss something that big. Yeah, exactly. And that was very much how I felt. But I, but I, I, the reason that I did, I decided that I would, you know, Because I have parents, I had a lot of people in my family who didn't even know, Mm -hmm. still, like 20 years later. Yeah. And I have a 13-year-old son, you know, who goes to an adjacent high school. So I had to tell him if I was going to have it published. Absolutely. And so, but I figured, you know... Well, of course, Margie was like, you have to do it. She's like, you know, are you kidding me? You're going to help all these girls. You're not going to help those girls? Like, I was like, you are such a pain for best friend. (laughs) But, I mean, but she No, but she knows. She's right. She's just like, she said, like, this is all, like, oh, no, she loves me. And she said, like, you will not be able to live with yourself if you don't do it because you could help even one girl. Yeah. And that's, you know, how I felt was... I just felt like, you know, and I've had mothers reach out to me. I had a mom and come to an event with her daughter, and they, like, came up to talk to me and just burst into tears. And the mom was saying that she had, um, before she had her married her husband and had her daughter, she was in a very abusive or physically abusive relationship. And she had never talked about it with her daughter. And her daughter was, like, college age. She was deaf, like, at least 18. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, Because she was so ashamed and it was so, like, upsetting for her. Yeah. And she said after reading the book, she decided to talk to her about it. And the daughter was saying, like, I'm, you know, I said to her, like, why wouldn't you tell me? Like, now I can make sure, like, I know what to look for and I can make sure this doesn't ever happen to me. Yeah. And the mom said, like, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about how embarrassed I was Mm -hmm. that I would choose a guy like that. And I said, it's like you carry, even though she's had therapy or whatever, it's like you carry carry that sense of, like, I should have known.
0: Yeah, I think just at the end of the day, like having a platform, it's so refreshing to hear an author say, like, no, 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 I, like the things that you're writing about, whether it's, you know, taking a look at people who look differently, sound differently, act differently, and understanding that does not make them a bad person? Or even like, you might not even realize it when you're doing it but when you're writing like for you know, like for the DC stuff like you might not realize it, but you're bringing reluctant readers in with these characters oh well, no I'm very love. aware of that yeah and then like with this showing
1: people that's
0: important to me of the teenage yeah just like it, it's such an important thing to realize like no matter what type of story you're telling right it's, and I don't man. ever
1: write down to teens because the teens we originally wrote for are so brilliant yeah. but what I also don't do is like you know, I'm not, like, a super lyrical writer. Mm-hmm. Like, my writing, I almost want me to be invisible. Yeah. Because I want the person who's reading to forget they're reading a book. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel like these are real people. These, This could be my friend, yeah. Peyton, or this guy could be the guy I have a crush on. Mm-hmm. Like, I want it to feel really real, and I want... And I don't dumb down any of, like, the language or whatever, but I, I do feel like sometimes... I have, like, I have a Legion series, which is also fantasy and yeah. supernatural. And I don't dumb anything down, but I feel like if there's stuff, you know, if you're writing X-Files and there's FBI stuff someone's not going to yeah. know, like, it's, there's nothing wrong with, like, yeah. explaining what it is.
0: Yeah, well, and I but it, and also, I think and I, that readers appreciate when you don't dumb stuff down for them because then it feels like they're, it's not approachable. It's like when you, you know... Right.
1: As well, adult, I hated that it. as a teen. Yeah. That's why I went straight from, like you know, middle grade stuff to Stephen King. Because yeah, I was, like, no YA you, after you, you read Judy Blume. Yeah,
0: you don't want an adult who is writing like a kid who has no idea how kids speak. And I'm, su- I'm sure being a teacher has a lot to do with that. Well, I that that was tame. also
1: one of the things. And, you know, I but I also, like, I th- I just think about that because I know that when I was younger, I could, I knew, that's one reason I loved Judy Bloom was like I could tell the difference between the writers who were writing stuff that really happened to me and my friends and the writers who were just writing like the perfect teens that never thought about sex and never did anything bad and just went on like these really happy days dates. (laughs) Yeah, when it's people was like, listen... Don't go
0: smoking your drugs and right. be back at nine o'clock. Right. It's like that doesn't a- happen. Just say no. Just say no. I mean okay. I
1: believe you just say no, but I like I feel like yeah. if you want kids to just say no, like you you gotta you t- show them the hardcore version of what yeah, happens exactly. when you don't say no. You don't just say like no, because it's really bad for you. Yeah.
0: And then the person's not gonna be like, Okay, you're right, I'm so sorry for offering this to you. That's not But
1: I just bad. think you also just tell authentic stories because I think that the one thing that is amazing about teens is like they can smell yeah. in not like something when something is not authentic absolutely and when something is like feels very manufactured and fake. Yeah. So I feel like whether or not like some stories, I would love to write a story about, you know, addiction or whatever, but I don't have a frame of reference for that the way I do about dating violence. So it's yeah. like, you know, letting another author who knows that world and what that feels like write that book yeah. is gonna be more authentic. And I write about the things, like, you know, the friends I had and the problems that we had yeah. and what I experienced because I feel like then it does come from a place of, like, authenticity.
0: I have a book recommendation for you when we stop recording. I think you'll, like, um, okay. We've covered I don't want to leave any books out. We're, we're no, good. We've, okay. we've covered many books sure. now. Now Perfect. we're good. Okay. So we have these lighthearted questions called The Nerd Nine. Uh, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading?
1: I reread... Um, uh, Children of Blood and Bone because I blurbed it and I read it like a year Tommy. or so ago before it came out but I was keynoting um, I'm on the board of Y'all West which is the sister festival of Y'all Fest Y'all that Fest. I co-founded yeah. and I was keynoting I was doing the moderation for the uh-huh. keynote and you know it was for Tommy's book so I wanted to like reread it and yeah. have it but I actually listened to the audio book oh, so it's amazing. unbelievable she, um,
0: I got to interview her the before. woman
1: who d- did it you know it's clearly West African but like her voice is so hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so hard to, like, yeah. pause when I had to do other things.
0: I had I, I to sit down with Tommy last year at Book Expo, like, before any of this yeah. stuff had happened. And it was so, like, she just has this, like, innocence about her. She just has... I don't think she comprehends how big a deal she is now. And it makes... me. It's just such a... Well, it's just
1: nice thing. when someone's not, you know, like a diva. When they, exactly. like, are very humble about their success. Exactly.
0: Uh, do you have a favorite place to read?
1: No. I always write... I write with like big noise cancelling headphones on. Mm -hmm. Reading I can kind of do anywhere. I like to read in bed, I like to read, I mean, I like to read on the plane. Yeah. Like I can't, a lot of people can write on the plane, I can't do that because there's like too much stuff happening and like people looking over my shoulder, which I hate. So, but I can read on the plane. So I read, if I travel I like to read. Um, But I I mean, I did as a kid, you know, I had like my reading spots. I had like a place in my grandparents yard I like to read because it looked kind of like the secret garden. Mm -hmm. Like. But now as an adult, I just feel like when you're, you think when you're a writer, you're going to get to read more. Yeah. And you're going to get to read all these people's books. What happens is you're really writing all the time. So for me now, anytime I get to read, like I'll read anywhere because it's, you know, like I have time. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, I've always been supportive of audio books because like my husband's dyslexic. He Mm -hmm. listens to almost everything on audio. Yeah. And that's, it makes it accessible for a lot of kids. But I never really, like, was into them, mm-hmm. but now that I've started wanting to be able to read more books, like, I'll listen in the car, because otherwise, like, I'll never read all the stuff I want to read, yep, same. and, you know, when the quality of an audiobook is good, it's amazing. So, 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 so.
0: I love it. Uh, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a kid?
1: Um, well, Pippi Longstocking was, like, my fave. Like, I wanted to be Pippi Longstocking. Mm-hmm. I did not want to live with my parents. I wanted to not go to school. I wanted to have a monkey. <laughs> so I love Pippi Longstocking. Um, that's one of my favorites. The Outsiders is one of my all-time favorite books. Was- but honestly, like my great grandmother, and my grandmother, like my mom, they read to me constantly from the time I was little. Like mm-hmm. I remember, I knew where the wild things are like by heart. Yeah. So for me, I don't. I think like I fell in love with reading as a child because I'm a, I'm of them reading of to other me. People, yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome. uh, way
1: before I could ever read myself. Yourself, yeah. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel you have not yet been to? Um, I'd like to go to Greece. Yeah. I would like to go. On a, I'd like to go on a safari. There you go.
0: Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate?
1: Um, I really love Christmas because I love decorating. But I really, I do like cooking. I really like the food on Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah. Uh, coffee
1: or tea? Uh, both. I drink coffee, but only in the morning. Okay, that's fine. And I love tea. Like, nice. s- okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Dogs, because cats can see spirits, and that does not interest me. I love that so much. Um, I do not. If there's any spirits in my house, I don't want to know. Yeah,
0: that's fine. I uh, do you have a favorite food.
1: Um, I have many favorite foods, but I think if I had to like exist on only one food, I could live on pizza for the rest of my life.
0: Good city for it here in, in New York. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and then, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dad, who would you pick?
1: Oh, my God, that's really hard. I know. I get yelled at all the time for this one. Well, Alive, like, my favorite living writer is Anne Rice. Well, I met for five seconds, and I forgot my name. Like, Mm. so now I understand why people use the (laughs) Post-its. Because she was like, what's your name, dear? And I was like, I had to think about it for a minute. That's amazing. And then I remember, like, she was going to, like, lean over and take a picture and, like, I remember I said, like, you know, I really love your books. Like, I'm a writer. And she was like, oh, that's so nice, dear. Good luck, you know? Like, and I ended up being really good friends with Christopher Rice, her son. He was like, did you tell her? Like, she knows what your book is. I was like, I could barely remember my name. I wasn't, like, pulling out the titles of my books. No. so funny. So I I love her. Dead would most likely with me be, like, some famous artist like I was an art major first like okay. someone like Picasso or like some person who had like yeah, you know what I mean like mm. philosophy and art and like yeah. inventions that's awesome I think it's hard to pick someone like when they're dead because there's so many amazing yeah. people that's why I get yelled at all the time I know I was always but I was really always sad because I really wish I had gotten Fahrenheit 451 some of my favorite books I really wish I had gotten to like either meet Ray Bradbury or like hear him speak at an event yeah. at someone that I feel like I missed the boat on yeah
0: Kami I feel like I could talk to you for hours this is so much fun thank you so much for joining us and today thank you for having me readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace
1: step into the world of power loyalty